Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Welcome to Haunted Road, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Mankey. Listener discretion is advised. Hey gang, this is just a quick reminder that I have a massive fall tour coming up starting in September. And so if you want to head to my website, amy-bruni.net and click on the appearances page, you can see if I will be anywhere near you. A lot of these do have meet and greet options too. So if you want to get a photo with me or ask me a question personally, this is your chance. So please check it out and hopefully we will get to meet in person and talk about spooky things, my favorite. One chilly autumn night, 
A man and his wife stayed alone at a lonely hotel, nearly abandoned as the staff prepared to close the warm weather destination for the winter. After she had gone to bed for the night, he couldn't sleep, so he went exploring the hotel's long, dark corridors. Eventually, he found the hotel bar, where a bartender named Grady served him a drink or two. When the man returned back to his room later that night, inspired by the remote location of the hotel and the eerie air of desolation in its empty rooms, he went into the bathroom and pulled back the curtain on the clawfoot tub. What if someone died here, he thought to himself. At that moment, Stephen King knew he had a book to write. I'm Amy Bruni, and this is Haunted Road. There may be no hotel more deeply embedded in horror lore than the Stanley, the hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, that inspired Stephen King to write The Shining, the 1977 book that has become one of the most famous and most frightening stories of all time, and its 2013 sequel, Dr. Sleep. But Stephen King never saw any ghosts in the Stanley Hotel. His experience was totally normal, not paranormal, even if it was extremely spooky. I mean, who wouldn't be creeped out spending the night in a nearly abandoned hotel? The answer is me. I once spent the night as the only guest in the Mount Washington Hotel in New Hampshire, and it was one of my most favorite experiences ever, but I digress. The Shining undoubtedly put the hotel in a different stratosphere of fame, though I just want to be clear, the movie wasn't filmed there at all. Stanley Kubrick's version was filmed in Pinewood Studios in London, and the exterior shots of the building are of the Timberline Lodge in Oregon. Long before a certain horror writer passed through its doors, the Stanley had a reputation for strange noises in the night, for ghastly apparitions in hotel rooms, and unexplainable things happening all around. In fact, the Stanley has more than a century of curious history, and it all started with the tuberculosis epidemic. In 1903, Freeland Oscar Stanley went to the mountains of Colorado with his wife, Flora. Stanley, with his twin brother Francis, invented a photographic process they sold to Kodak and the Stanley steamer train car. But despite his riches and his success, Stanley was suffering from a case of tuberculosis that was quickly killing him. By the time he and Flora departed for the mountains of Colorado, doctors had told Stanley he only had three months to live. Upon arriving in Estes Park, about an hour and a half from Denver, he almost immediately began to feel better. Stanley made a full recovery, due in part to the crisp mountain air of the Rocky Mountains. You might remember from our Waverly Hills episode that not everyone who went away for a tuberculosis rest cure, especially at that Kentucky sanatorium, had such a fortunate fate. Despite his prognosis of having three months to live, Stanley lived another 37 years. Before Western settlers arrived, the Estes Park area was a summer destination for the Ute and Arapaho tribes and became a gold rush town in 1859 when prospector Joel Estes arrived in the area. When Stanley visited, the town was a tourist destination but only offering simple accommodations, not the kind the wealthy inventor was used to. Stanley started building what would become the Stanley Hotel in 1907, building on land that had originally belonged to an Irish earl, Lord Dunraven. The Earl had illegally homesteaded 6,000 acres to create a private hunting reserve and built a hunting lodge, cabin, and hotel for guests. As Kathy Weiser Alexander wrote in Legends of America, Dunraven was finally run out of the area after trying to swindle folks out of their land and money. 
Stanley had originally planned on naming the hotel after Lord Dunraven, but locals had other ideas. In September 1908, Estes Park residents approached Stanley with a deerskin petition asking him to name the hotel after himself instead. The Stanley Hotel opened on June 22, 1909, and makes a grand first impression. The main hotel building is built in the colonial Georgian Revival style. Four stories tall and painted mustard yellow with a vibrant red roof, the design was particularly striking for its contrast with the rugged Rocky Mountain landscape. The style was a departure from the rustic accommodations otherwise offered in Estes Park. It was also one of the first hotels west of the Mississippi to have electricity. The property is 68 acres. In addition to the 140-room hotel, there are the manor house, Stanley Hall, the carriage house, the north and south dormitories, the laundry building, the boiler house, the manager's cottage, the gatekeeper's house, the maintenance building, and the swimming pool cabana, some of which are connected by underground tunnels. The Stanley cost over $500,000 to build, over $15 million in today's money. According to the hotel's history, the first guests who pulled up in stylish Stanley-designed steam cars were astonished at what they saw. Here in this mountain wilderness, surrounded by the rustic haunts of the hunter and homesteader, was an edifice that withstood comparison to the posh hotels back east. Electric lights, telephones, end-suite bathrooms, a staff of uniformed servants, and a fleet of automobiles were at their disposal. If the outside was impressive, the interior was even more grand. Guests walking in would see a lobby with carved wooden walls and several fireplaces, and a grand staircase leading up to the guest floors. The original Otis elevator from 1909 is still in use today, and there's an original Stanley steamer on display in the lobby. The hotel has a bar, dining room, music room, and billiard room, as well as lounges and meeting rooms. As Steve Winston wrote in Western Art and Architecture, the public rooms are filled with dark woods, brass Old West chandeliers, bronzes of wild animals, old books and photos, and authentic period furniture and accessories. Bedrooms are reminiscent of the West's golden age with large headboards and angled ceilings with round lights. One thing the hotel didn't have when it opened was heat. Stanley designed the resort as a summer-only destination for the wealthy set who traveled seasonally, not as a hotel that would stay open throughout the year. The first guests to the Stanley were members of the Colorado Pharmacol Association, who met there for their 20th annual meeting. According to a newspaper article of the day in the Weekly Courier, the druggists were loud in their praise of the magnificent establishment. In those early days, many well-to-do visitors stayed the entire summer season. Adults stayed on the lower levels while children and nannies stayed on the fourth floor, where kids could play freely and stay out of sight of their parents and not disturb other guests. It wasn't long before a major accident shook the hotel. On June 25, 1911, a thunderstorm cut the power to the resort and gas lamps were lit as a backup. When chambermaid Elizabeth Warren entered room 217 with a lit candle, she had no idea there was a gas leak. The explosion destroyed the west wing of the hotel, about 10% of the building. The explosion plummeted Wilson down one floor into the Wilson dining room. She was badly injured with two broken ankles, but she recovered. The Stanley paid all of her medical bills and promoted Wilson to head chambermaid when she returned to work. She stayed at the Stanley until her death in the 1950s. At the time, room 217, which you might want to remember for later, was the lavish presidential suite, also encompassing modern-day room 215. 
In 2014, pieces of carpet and drywall from room 217 were found in the tunnels under the hotel during renovations. As Barb Boyer Buck wrote in the Estes Park Trail Gazette, the discovered pieces of drywall are papered with a brightly colored floral pattern in reds, pinks, and greens, and the carpet fragment is a grass green with red and blue details. The success of the hotel helped Estes Park improve as well. As the hotel describes, by 1917, the town had waterworks, a power plant, and civic organizations that were all in some way thanks to Stanley. The hotel also transported elk from Montana to repopulate the depleted local population. Because of his contributions to the area, F.O. Stanley is sometimes called the grandfather of Estes Park. Stanley sold the hotel in 1926, but the new owners went into debt and he repurchased the hotel in 1929 before reselling it. In the coming decades, the hotel stayed largely the same, with a few improvements. In 1935, the facade was changed from its original yellow to the white it is today. In the early 1950s, the owners installed a swimming pool. Beginning in the 1960s, the hotel began to fall into disrepair. In 1982, a devastating flood hit Estes Park and the Stanley was used as a National Guard command center. The main hotel got a heating system about this same time. It wasn't until the 1990s that the hotel was restored to its current state. Over the years, the Stanley hosted everyone from Theodore Roosevelt, John Philip Sosa, and the unsinkable Molly Brown to Joan Baez, Bob Dylan, and a variety of foreign dignitaries and Hollywood stars. When Stephen and Tabitha King stayed there in 1974, they stayed in room 217, the same room from the explosion more than six decades earlier. At the time, he was working on a novel called Dark Shine, set in an amusement park, but King wasn't happy with the setting of the book. As King describes it, while we were living in Boulder, we heard about this terrific old mountain resort hotel and decided to give it a try. But when we arrived, they were just getting ready to close for the season and we found ourselves the only guests in the place with all those long, empty corridors. King and his wife were served dinner in an empty dining room. He said, except for our table, all the chairs were up on the tables, so the music is echoing down the hall, and I mean it, it was like God had put me there to hear that and see those things, and by the time I went to bed that night, I had the whole book in my mind. In another retelling, King said, I dreamed of my three-year-old son running through the corridors, looking back over his shoulders, eyes wide screaming. He was being chased by a fire hose. I woke up with a tremendous jerk sweating all over within an inch of falling out of bed. I got up, lit a cigarette, sat in a chair looking out the window at the Rockies, and by the time the cigarette was done, I had the bones of The Shining firmly set in my mind. Kubrick's film plays nonstop on a channel on every hotel room television. Stephen King isn't the only notable person to have stayed in room 217. When Jim Carrey was in Estes Park filming classic film Dumb and Dumber, he stayed in that same room. He was allegedly so spooked that he didn't even last a full night. Today, 400,000 people visit the Stanley Hotel every year. About 120,000 of them stay overnight. Visitors today can explore a hedge maze similar to the one in The Shining, but on a much, much smaller scale, which the hotel built in 2015. Well, 400,000 living people visit the Stanley every year. If we were counting dead people, that number might be a lot higher. The thing is, aside from the explosion in 1911, the Stanley hasn't been the site of any major accidents or tragic deaths on the property that would account for the hotel being one of the most haunted in America. 
Some believe that the hauntings at the hotel are attributable to the geology of the minerals found in the mountain the hotel is built on, which has significant amounts of limestone and quartz said to amplify paranormal activity. My friend John Tenney has another theory. If people can go anywhere they want after they die, why wouldn't they want to visit places they love during their life? In his view, ghosts are going on vacation to the Stanley the same way living people do. Room 217 lives up to its spooky reputation. The ghost of Elizabeth Wilson is said to appear in the room, often cleaning up after guests, much as she would have done in life. Some guests report that she unpacks their suitcases and tucks them into bed. Stephanie Earls, writing in Out There, Colorado, writes that unmarried couples sharing a bed complained of an invisible force wedging them apart as they slept, and single men woke to find their bags had been packed and left outside the door. Guests have reported the door opening and closing by itself and bathroom faucets operating on their own. Some say they've seen a woman in old-fashioned clothing around the area. Just like Princess Carolyn Stickney stays around the Mount Washington Hotel overseeing the place, the Stanleys are also said to haunt their hotel. F.O. died in 1940 and his wife Flora died in 1939. His presence is often sensed at the hotel bar and in the billiard room, and his reflection has been seen in an antique mirror in the hotel. Guests who are checking in sometimes say they see him at the reception desk. As Nancy Williams wrote in Haunted Hotels of Northern Colorado, clerks at the front desk have seen the chairs quietly rocking on the front porch when there's no breeze and no one is sitting in them. Mr. Stanley's large wooden rocker, his favorite, often moves slowly back and forth. Flora, on the other hand, smells of roses wherever she goes and likes to play the piano in the concert hall. Kathy Weiser Alexander wrote in Legends of America that employees and guests have reported hearing music coming from the room, and when they take a peek in there, they can see the piano keys moving. However, as soon as someone walks across the threshold to investigate further, the music stops and no more movement can be seen upon the keys. Haunted Hotels of Northern Colorado reported that a man wrote to the hotel about his experience of seeing a young woman playing the piano. He said when he approached, she was suddenly transformed into an elderly woman and then she disappeared. The Stanleys, though, aren't the only owners of the property who are said to haunt the Stanley. Lord Dunraven himself is said to haunt rooms 401 and 407. There's a male ghost in room 401 who's said to inappropriately touch female guests He's also said to steal and hide women's jewelry. Closet door in this room also opens and closes on its own. Uncover Colorado reports that one man claims he witnessed his wedding ring inexplicably move from the bathroom counter and fall down the drain of the sink in the bathroom. Lord Dunraven is known to turn lights on and off in room 407, and a ghostly face is sometimes seen peering out the window of the room. According to Uncover Colorado, multiple guests have reported the odd experience of being tucked into bed by some invisible force, and others have felt someone sit on the foot of the bed only to find nothing but an indentation on the covers when they switched on the light. But those are only three of the many, many ghosts of the Stanley. Other ghostly reports on the property include the ghost of a pastry chef who makes the employee tunnels under the hotel smell like baked goods. Some claim this to be the ghost of a French chef named Pierre who died in a tunnel collapse, but this appears to be a myth. Charles Stansfield wrote in Haunted Colorado that guests whose rooms are near the elevators sometimes complain about the elevators moving noisily up and down the shafts continuously very late at night. Those bold enough to open their room doors and look down the corridor report that people dressed in 1920s-style tuxedos and evening gowns can be seen entering or leaving the elevators, 
but the elevator doors remain closed. There are many reports of ghosts of children on the fourth floor where kids and nannies once stayed. They are especially heard running in the hallways or on the roof where kids were once allowed to play. Legends of America said that one couple reportedly checked out of the hotel very early in the morning, complaining that the children in the hallway kept them up all night. However, there were no children booked in the hotel at the time. The ghost of a little boy sometimes tries to wake up sleeping children because he wants to play. Another pulls pranks like turning on the television as loudly as possible and flicking the light switch so people will notice him. A little girl is often seen on the central staircase. A cowboy ghost in room 428 is reported to loom over you while you sleep. But the good news is that he's said to be friendly and even once politely left the room when requested to by startled guests. Locals believe he's the spirit of James Nugent, known as Rocky Mountain Jim, a local explorer who helped found the town. Others believe that he's the ghost of a frontiersman who was hanged for murder. The concert hall is said to be haunted by a ghost named Lucy. Brittany Annis writes for Trip Savvy that she was a runaway or homeless woman who found refuge in the hall, but no evidence of this exists. Some say that this happened in the 1970s and that she was a young teen who'd been squatting in the basement before being kicked out by maintenance staff and freezing to death. In 2015, a woman on a ghost tour took a photograph that some claim shows Lucy, a young girl in a pink dress. Others claim that there is an additional ghost in the concert hall named Paul, said to be the spirit of a former employee. Nightly Spirits writes that, among other duties, Paul used to enforce the 11 p.m. curfew in the hotel's early days. Guests and employees report hearing someone telling them to get out late at night. A construction worker was doing some work on the floors in the concert hall when he felt someone nudge him several times until he left. The hotel's main stairway has been nicknamed the Vortex, believed to be a center of energy that functions as a paranormal portal, allowing ghosts to appear and disappear at will. I'm not sure that I buy that, but apparitions, often thought to be the Stanleys, have been reported on the staircase. In 2016, a tourist took a photograph that some claim shows a ghostly figure in period dress at the top of the stairs. Another Stephen King tidbit, the hotel also has a pet cemetery on site. Uncover Colorado writes that Cassie, a friendly golden retriever, is said to still deliver newspapers and scratch at the doors to be let in from outside despite being buried at the grounds. Up next, I have my dear friend Carl Pfeiffer joining us. We're going to talk about his time as one of the resident paranormal investigators at the Stanley Hotel, and we'll also chat the Estes Method, or the Spirit Box Experiment, as you may know it if you're a Kindred Spirits fan. That's right, that technique was born at the Stanley Hotel. That's up after the break. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I am joined now by Mr. Carl Pfeiffer, who we go way back, Carl. Yeah. <laughs> we were just trying to decide what to call you as far as like what your position in life is these days. But I mean, I knew you as paranormal researcher. I know you as director, brilliant photographer and artist. Like there, you are a jack of all trades, it seems. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I love creativity, and I've kind of been exploring all different facets of it. And I mean, creativity and, and the paranormal are my two big passions. So anywhere that I can blend those two and, and have fun and, and make a couple bucks from it is, is really the life goal at this point. Right. I feel like a lot of us who are kind of in the paranormal field, it's, it is trying to make a living out of something that we love, which I think is the, the case for a lot of people who have a passion about something. And so I think it's great to be able to meld those two things in your world. And, and you're brilliant at it. So I love it. I've been privileged enough to have you photograph me a few times, and they always turn out lovely. So I'll tell you. I still look back soon. on some of those shots. They're fantastic. Yeah, a lot of fun. So I met you years ago. I might have met you before the Stanley, but in my brain, I feel like Carl is just always at the Stanley Hotel. Uh, you know, we're kind of a staple there. I have spent so much time at that hotel, and I have just such phenomenal memories of it. And just to kind of take it back for one moment before we get into the hauntings and things and theories. So years and years ago, I attended a what was a darkness event hosted by Dave Schrader back I want to say probably 2006 or 7 with Chris Williams and she had just started on Ghost Hunters I wasn't even involved in Ghost Hunters she and I were just really good friends and at the last minute we decided to go there because we heard they were fun and there wasn't even rooms at the hotel so I think we stayed at like a holiday inn or something but you know I got to this event with a few hundred paranormal people and I was like oh I have found my people. I have found my tribe of weirdos. Like, you know, because I kind of had been going through my paranormal interest for so long, you know, feeling like it was kind of an unusual thing. But here I was in this place surrounded by people from all walks of life who were super interested in the same thing I was. And it was this like serious awakening for me. So years would go by and I would go up to the Stanley every year, usually in April. And so it started with darkness events. And then I had a company called Beyond Reality Events. And we had a big paranormal event there every year. And then Strange Escapes went there. And sometimes I'd go up multiple times a year. And so like I have pictures of my daughter, Charlotte, from the time when she was like a little tiny nugget until she was four or five in the same spot every year because I wanted to get pictures of her growing. And then one year, the Stanley decided they didn't want to do paranormal events anymore. And it just kind of like which is completely their prerogative. And, you know, we should never feel as though we are owed any you know, spot at that table at a place. I'm sure it was just some sort of internal business decision that made sense to them. So I don't fault them at all. And I 
highly encourage everyone to go visit there because it is gorgeous and beautiful ghosts aside. But it was this moment of like, oh, this tradition is gone. And I just never expected it to happen like that. It was just so strange. And so now I, I never take that for granted when a location lets us come in and and look and talk to their ghosts, you know, look at and talk to their ghosts. So it's just kind of a life lesson, but I have nothing but fond memories of the place. And I would go back in a heartbeat. It's just now it's, you know, across the country for me. So yeah, it's it's a wonderful place. It has presence. It has this excellent kind of magic to it and this prestige, uh, the way it's situated and, and laid out in the history. Yeah, I think the ghosts just weren't really on brand anymore for a <laughs> kind of business facing, wedding facing, event facing, have a drink on the porch kind of a kind of a brand. So I think right. they just kind of moved on from that, which is a bummer because I love the way that ghosts and history mesh. But, uh, you know, I can definitely understand and, and it's still an absolutely magical place to visit. Absolutely. And so, you know, I do hope to get back there at some point. You know, I just I think sometimes it would just tug at my heartstrings a little bit. <laughs> so but, you know, it, it also they're not the first place to do that. So like I said, I don't I don't blame them at all. You know, I do kind of send them an email once every year or two, just kind of letting them know that I'm still here. If they ever decide to take that up again, I'd be happy to assist. <laughs> so <laughs> but that being said, I've had a number of experiences there over the years, as I'm sure you have too, which it doesn't always make a ton of sense because there hasn't been some major tragedy at the Stanley. Like I have found a number of deaths over the years of guests and things, but you know, it was kind of mostly from natural causes. But what what do you think is going on there exactly? And what are some of the experiences you think people could expect to have there? It was, I mean, it was very much one of the most common questions that was asked to us was like, why is this place as haunted as it is or even haunted at all? And back at the time, we sort of kind of attributed it to the fact that a lot of people had so many happy memories there. I know that my friend Aiden Sinclair, who's a, a magician uh, in residence up there at the hotel, he attributed it to like, if there is an afterlife, maybe the afterlife is us spending the time where we were happiest the most. And for a lot of people, that was the Stanley, especially historically speaking, when the hotel was seasonal and it was only open in the warm months, a lot of people would go and stay for months at a time back in those days, rather than just the occasional weekend or weekday like we do now. And so a lot of people, I think that their Stanley experience was much more embedded than the the way that we typically look at, at resort hotels now as being a lot more of a brief stay. So I think that there could be some longevity in that regard, just people spending their summers in such a beautiful place up there. But more of my kind of current research now points towards the liminality of the hotels and how people come and go constantly and there's this kind of like movement of this energy and it's this in-between space where it, it feels like a home or a residence but nobody stays there for very long and that seeming to facilitate paranormal activity and high strangeness I think could absolutely be a factor in not just the Stanley but many of the hotels out there where it doesn't have to be a creepy or unsettling aspect but just sort of the nature of the place uh, contributes to the paranormal activity. A lot of people used to associate like quartz and limestone uh, with the hotel but when we were up there we found that there was not really too much of that going on uh, under the hotel. So as far as the mineral explanation, that doesn't hold up quite as well. But I think that the liminality and the uh, historical presence of the place and the experience for a lot of people probably contributes the most to that. Yeah, and I, I agree. And then I've sometimes wondered because you have this idea that, you know, Stephen King stayed there and came up with The Shining. And there's so many rumors around that. We covered that in the first half of the podcast, kind of what the reality is with that. But people, I think, associated it so heavily with The Shining and that sort of a haunting 
that it makes me wonder if people with that expectation in mind arrived and, and, you know, kind of brought that energy with them and almost infused a haunting into that hotel, especially when it was being so actively investigated. You know, it kind of just became this giant thought form or something because the hauntings were so fluid there. I felt like over my years of investigating it, it wasn't a lot of really like they did get to know us. Like I I know they knew my name over time, but the activity wasn't completely, it wasn't something you could easily replicate. It changed constantly. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's another angle that I think about all the time too, is that sort of thought form idea and how much of of hauntings that we're experiencing are just uh, from us, uh, the stuff that we're kind of psychically or spiritually projecting outwards. And whether that's giving them life or giving them form, uh, like actually manifesting that. You look at how many people have read The Shining and project that onto the hotel. How many people even visit the hotel and think that the Kubrick movie was filmed there? Totally wasn't. Like It doesn't really look the same once you compare them side by side. I mean, I wonder sometimes, maybe this isn't the platform to to make it, but sometimes I wonder if the Stanley's going to burn down one day because so many people, book spoilers, I suppose here, like so many people like read that book and like look at that hotel and are projecting that onto it that you kind of wonder how much of that was a factor. I mean, it certainly put it on the map historically, but from a spiritual standpoint, it's definitely a big question mark that I think is fascinating. Right. I mean, I never even thought of that, but you never know. It is so interesting what I think we can manifest just with our mind and expectations. So that being said, as far as the activity goes there, I have had some of the craziest experiences there. I think probably the the one that stands out in my mind the most, and I still have the video of this. I, I don't know what has become of the carriage house. I feel like it has since been, has it been renovated or? Yeah, because that was also on the, the historical buildings what do you call that? That slips my mind here. This oh, the Historical Hotels of America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Register mm-hmm. of Historic Places. Yeah. I think that the secondary buildings were included on that. So they wound up tearing it down. But I think that the rebuild had to keep to the certain foundational specifications of the original. So that's now a restaurant. And that's actually where Aiden's underground theater is, is underneath where the carriage house used to be built. It's very strange to see uh, it flourishing now after driving by it all condemned for so many years. Yeah. And so we had, I had Aiden on the podcast. He talked about the Queen Mary for me. So listeners are definitely familiar with him. I mean, that's really interesting. Now I, I really do have to get back and see all of these kind of changes. But before that happened, it was that, like you were saying, this kind of rundown building that it was not open to the public, but we were able to investigate it over the years just because I became friends with so many people there. And I had this experience out there one night, well, multiple, but there was one night I was out there. I want to say it was with Grant Wilson and his wife, Rihanna, and I think Britt Griffith. And we were, and maybe Raven, actually. I think Raven might've been there too. And so we were just kind of standing, we were all watching this shadow move in the back corner, like almost like it was kind of avoiding us, but we could see it moving very clearly against kind of the moonlight coming through the boards in the wall. And then also there was light coming in from underneath the doors. Like I said, I have this on video. I have the sound of it. We're standing there and all of a sudden you hear feet in the dirt because the floor was dirt, just running, like rushing me so fast. You just hear dun, 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 like straight. Like I, if that was a live person, I would have thought they were going to just barrel me over, like tackle me. And you hear it just run straight up to me and just stop. And it was very threatening and I stood my ground, but I've never experienced anything like that since. It still stands as one of the craziest experiences I've had. And the fact that you can hear it 
I'll have to dig up the recording. I think it's on my MySpace page, which tells you how long ago this happened. But it is, it was wild. I mean, I don't know. Did you, have you had anything like that happen there? Or do you have any ideas of what that could be? <laughs> to some extent, yeah. I investigated the carriage house probably two or three times uh, during that time period. And it's got a weird vibe in there, weird energy. The couple of times I was in there, we didn't have too much like objectively happen, but there was a sense in there that would kind of come and go and creep over you and kind of surround you in a way that I always attributed to feeling very animalistic and not exactly like your typical kind of like a human haunt or a residual haunt. And maybe this has a lot of me projecting an interpretation into it, but it felt kind of like that's where certain things that weren't very social went to go hang out on the Stanley grounds. You know, everywhere else is so busy. Like the con or the, the, the carriage house felt like that was where they were just kind of hanging out where nobody went. And that could be the animalistic, almost elemental type of energy to that could be similar, or I could be relating it to another story I had a couple of months after I first got to the hotel. Myself, uh, the paranormal investigator at the time, Callie, and my friend Connor were investigating in room 1302 in the, the manor house. It's one of the rare instances that I ashamedly say that I dozed off on a ghost hunt, right? <laughs> Laying happens. in a comfy bed at two in the morning. It happens <laughs> to the best of us, yeah. But I saw the like most vivid, clear image pop into my head in this like 10 seconds that I like kind of gotten into that, you know, in between hypnagogic state. And it was this weird, scary face of like a man's face crossed with a pig's face with instead of eyes, only these two like hollow eye sockets. It was uh, very unsettling, but it didn't freak me out. Like I didn't feel weird about it, but he was standing there almost like he was wearing a suit or something. Like I was looking at it like through a peephole in a door or something. And I thought it was really weird. Didn't bother me too much, but the weird aspect about it was that I think a couple of Days later, Callie was telling that story to the resident psychic at the time at the hotel, Madame Vera. Oh, I love her. She, she's great. And I think she said that uh, she had experienced the exact same thing in that exact same room about a year beforehand. And she attributed it to being an elemental spirit uh, of the land that was there for much longer than the hotel itself. And so I, I thought that that was like really interesting in the way that it sort of validated the experience that I had had was her talking about that as well. And so maybe it, it flavored my perception of it, but I, I think that a lot of that towards the edges of the property, so to speak, when it comes to the, the carriage house, makes me wonder how much more is kind of going on in that area that could be a, a less human, more elemental, more nature spirit type of energy there rather than just kind of the typical hauntings. You know, it, it's funny to me because the Stanley actually draws a lot of parallels for me to the Mount Washington Hotel. And the Mount Washington has something very similar in their presidential wing that kind of runs around. Like you can hear its footsteps out there at night and some people, and this is the new wing, you know, it's not, you know, this is a, a recently built addition. And we've always kind of had that same vibe. And it's off in the mountains, you know, the White Mountains of New Hampshire. It just makes you wonder, like, what comes from these places and starts to inhabit these hotels. You know, it's just so interesting to think about. But yeah, that actually really jives with the activity with that running kind of like threatening, like in your face kind of activity, yes. for sure. I would say also, probably high on the list of I mean, gosh, I've had so many experiences there, but high on the list would be I've seen many shadow figures in the hallways. The other thing that's happened to me many times there is I've had like phantom knocks on my room in the middle of the night, which is really jarring. Or I've had my furniture. I've actually had drawers open <laughs> on my furniture in my room before there, too. 
But the the knocks can be a lot because you're trying to sleep and it's not people because or not live ones anyway, because, you know, you do it's it's like a dun 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 and you'll run up. You think there's an emergency and you open the door and there's no one there. And I've had it happen at least three times there. Yeah. Yeah. And usually it's pretty telling when, you know, like if it's another guest like messing with you because people certainly like to do that. But like it's a very creaky hotel as paranormal investigators, you kind of get the sense of uh, when it's a, a living human being and when it's not just in the pure sense of like hearing footsteps running away or hearing the, the laughter. And yes. when it's just kind of the knock on its own and you're up quick enough to see if there's anyone in the hall, like, it, you know, it's something different. Absolutely. I can definitely see why Stephen King was inspired to write The Shining after spending a a night there in the winter. What would you think is maybe the most kind of interesting, compelling or even frightening experience that you've had there? Yeah, I think that the uh, the 1302 kind of pigman experience, that's always been my most memorable one. The Stanley was interesting because we had such a unique opportunity as the resident paranormal investigators to repeat visit, repeat investigate the same location for five years at a time. And while there's plenty of hindsight on that for like wishing I did more analysis of weather and time of year and all that sort of thing, it was kind of more about the collection of the spirits or activity at the end of the day for me, because a lot of it wound up being very subtle. And it's weird, the the paranormal experiences, they either stick in your brain forever or they start to fade in a, in yeah. a weird way. And so, as, as you know, a lot of the craziest paranormal experiences are the relatively subtle ones. Like, not that it's subtle, but like hearing the footsteps running up at you, like footsteps in general, when you hear them and you know exactly what they are and you know that there's nobody else in the, the building, that's like an incredible experience. But I think that the Stanley had a lot of those kind of things. A lot of objects being rolled off of the table. We had one of those actually at A Strange Escapes. There was a flashlight that was rolled off of the ledge of the balcony in the concert hall when we were investigating there. A lot of it, you know, if you get a good communication through whatever device you're using or a lot of knocks, those can be fantastic. And so it was a lot of the smaller stuff. I'm not one to like see things, you know, like shadows or, or apparitions at the end of hallways, whatnot. For me, it's about trying to like develop the best kind of like communication or interaction with the spirits via the devices or via knocks or, or communication in, in that regard is usually what was a little bit more common for me. Well, and that kind of leads me to the Estes method, which was developed at the Stanley Hotel, hence the name, the Estes Method. And so to kind of rewind on that for us, so when you guys first did that, I remember you put out a video. Adam and I were first shooting. This is like a clarification moment for all of you. <laughs> so Adam and I Adam and I were shooting season one of Kindred, I believe, when you first kind of developed that method. And so at the time, it did not have a name, but we were fascinated by it. And I remember I wrote you and I said, we're going to try this on this show that we're making, but I promise when it comes out, I will give you guys all this credit for coming up with this amazing idea, which I did. Like, I, you know, I, I, I've always always championed you guys as developing it, but it did not have a name at the time. And so on the show, we started just calling it the spirit box experiment. Then you guys eventually named it the Estes method, which is incredibly fitting. But I think by then we were like in season three and there's never a moment for us to just stop down. You know, you work in production. You can't just like interject suddenly in the middle of the show and be like, we're changing the name of this. <laughs> so so for everyone, I want everyone to know that I'm fully aware that they we have dubbed that the Estes method and that is what we call it. But we also have 
you know, millions of viewers who don't, aren't as tuned into the paranormal world as the rest of us. And so I think if we'd started it that way from the beginning, but just know, like, I give full props. I love these guys. And <laughs> so tell me, though, maybe people don't even know what I'm talking about. So tell me, what is the Estes Method and what gave you this idea to kind of develop it? Yeah. So essentially, the Estes method is uh, taking the spirit box, which is scanning through different radio stations at varying rates of speed, where you hear little bits of commercials or music or radio and possibly spirits. It's typically like very full of white noise and it can be garbled and it's hard to hear. So it's very easy to sort of hear what you want to hear out of it. And we were kind of always on the fence about that. I'd heard some pretty crazy stuff out of it in the past. At the same time, though, like you do it enough, especially with with groups of people that are just kind of paying for a, a ghost on every week. There's once in a while that the group gets very excited about hearing something that clearly was not what the what was actually coming out. And so we started thinking at some point it was one of those late night conversations years before we even gave it the first try where I think. I don't even recall whose idea it was so much as just developing in a conversation one night. The idea of like just plugging headphones into it and having that person who's listening to those headphones say what they hear through it. But because of the headphones, they can't hear the questions that are being asked. And so if one of the things that they say that they heard through the spirit box matches up as an answer to one of those questions, then that's a lot more compelling because it takes out the sort of like forcing it to have said what you thought it should say element. It's either going to fit or it's not going to fit. And so, yeah, eventually we gave it a try. Uh, we were filming a little fun web series that we were making at the time called Spirits of the Stanley. And so we were doing an investigation one night and we wanted to try something different. So we finally grabbed a pair of headphones. It was not what it was now. They were the only like you know i think everyone used to get the old apple headphones with their phone and then i would cram them in my bag just in case a headphones broke or died when i was traveling so i grabbed these like really crappy headphones and plugged it in and it was kind of hit and miss for a little while but when my friend connor randall jumped on he started getting some pretty interesting stuff and that got us kind of excited about it. So eventually he is a drummer. And so he had some really solid kind of sound isolating headphones that he eventually brought up. And then we were getting some kind of funny interactions that, you know, told us like, everybody stand up, you know? And so we stood up and I think that sort of prompted the idea. It's natural to sort of close your eyes while you're doing it to concentrate. But that sort of gave us the idea that visual cues could be happening in the group. And that if we wanted to really isolate the person to try to make their responses as objective as possible, we should probably blindfold them too so thusly we kind of got the big drummer headphones to blindfold and really just dial in to listen to the device now what's happening there whether it's spirits actually coming through on a radio channel i don't know but there's definitely seems to be an almost meditational element of doing it where it seems that some people do it better than others and it can be hard to listen to so perhaps those results are a bit skewed but Connor and Dana Newkirk get a lot better results than I do. And I've been doing it since the inception as well. So yeah, whether that's a, a psychical aspect, I don't know. We found that as well. Like, and, and sometimes it depends on what we found, because we do this all the time now. And sometimes I feel like it depends on who's talking. Like most of the time I seem to be the one that does it. And like, sometimes there is that kind of sensory deprivation moment. Like, it actually can make me sick sometimes if I am under for too long. But then sometimes if I'm not getting responses, Adam will put on that headphones and suddenly we're having a conversation, you know, just depends sometimes I think on the comfort level of the 
energy or spirit and who they're more comfortable talking through. But it really, I think, just opened up this whole new element to investigations because it went from, you know, doing like real-time EVP to having full conversations. And it is absolutely mind-blowing sometimes the results that we get. And I know for us on the show, people always want to hear, and I'm sure you've gotten this too, they want to hear what you're hearing in in the headphones. And and we've tried it, and it's literally just white noise, you know, to the viewer at home. You know, they're naturally skeptical, as they should be. But I always just tell them, like, try it yourself. (laughs) You know, like, go go try it. It's It's an interesting gray area with it because... I mean, it's it's interesting for us as investigators, but whether or not that voicing, that answer is on the feed or not, um, I think a lot of people look at that skeptically. But if you're truly isolated in the headphones from the questions being asked and you're not cheating, it doesn't really affect the legitimacy of it if there's a voice there or not, because that speaks towards that, like, is the subconscious feeding you these words and these answers in a psychic fashion that allows your conscious mind to, like, believe that you're hearing them like it it lets the conscious mind relax and maybe lets you be more psychic i don't know and so i think that it's telling in an interesting fashion of like how it might be working in that regard but i think a lot of people want to hear it because they're skeptical and i'm kind of like i'm not sure if that's actually going to answer your question because there's a lot of possibilities out there yeah we definitely have kind of decided there is some sort of psychic element to it we have listened you know we have synced up the audio and listened and I have said an entire sentence that you definitely do not hear. I don't know where it comes from because when I'm hearing it, it literally sounds like a voice coming through. You know, it always goes kind of past just the quick blips of it changing stations. The voices go through that, if that makes sense. They extend beyond just the quick changes. What I love is like it eliminated a lot of confirmation bias as well, because I think we do kind of, especially if you have any background information on the haunting that you're investigating, you kind of start to expect to hear certain words. And so if everyone's listening together, it's easy to kind of make it have the conversation you want versus isolating yourself. But, you know, we've done all kinds of experiments with it now where, you know, I'll pull a ton of historical information that Adam doesn't know. And, you know, he'll go under and I'll ask about it. And we'll get answers, just things that he had no idea occurred. Or we've even both gone under at once and had like entire conversations between two spirits that had no idea the other existed there. It was this really crazy episode of Kindred at the Fee House where it was like a mother and daughter who were both haunting the same house, but literally had no idea the other was there. So I don't know how that happens, but they had a conversation and it was we, you know, you don't know how it goes. You take off your (laughs) blindfold and you're like, how was that? And we looked at our crew and they were like jaws dropped you know we're like well we got it was always the best barometer of those moments (laughs) exactly you look at them and you're like is this good like what happened (laughs) so it's just fascinating to me and i think it's also really pushed people to kind of think outside the box with their investigative styles like what else can we think of to kind of push the envelope and so i love that that was born of the stanley hotel and it just makes perfect sense that it would come from there Yeah, it always blows my mind when I see the hashtag pop up or whatnot and just see kind of like how far this thing has spread um, and how many people are using it. And I think it's a very fun experiment for thinking creatively, too, because you talk about doing two people under at the same time or recording the feed and syncing them up later. You know, experiments that we've tried that I'd love to try more if I had more opportunity for it of uh, recording a session in advance and then having somebody plug into either that or the spirit box and, and seeing as almost sort of a debug 
debunking experiment, you know, seeing if it's just chance or having a speaker playing the feed while somebody's under so you can hear what they're hearing in real time. There's so many variations on it that I think, you know, I don't pretend to be a scientist or call myself scientific because I'm, I'm not, but it, it's fun to inspire sort of amateur scientific thinking where you can think about the variations on it. You can think about the variables, like what do you want to control? What do you want to change? What do you want to answer? And that's always fun to sort of encourage that and see where people take it next. Yeah, it raises so many questions about what it is that we're even... So it's wild. But, and, and you know, I will say years and years ago at the Stanley Hotel, I met Frank Sumption. Frank Sumption is the person who invented the spirit box. He invented it to talk to aliens originally. And there are a number of his boxes out there. Frank's box is what they're called. And they're very highly sought after in the paranormal community. But he was a lovely man. He was very, very interesting. Very interesting. Um, you know, I'll never forget meeting him in, I want to say the music room. And uh, he was there with Bill Murphy, I believe. And he had a bunch of his boxes out and he was using one of them. And it said my name like three times. And I was sitting there and there were a few of us. And he was like, Amy, is there an Amy in here? And I was like, I'm right here. I'm Amy, you know? And, but it literally said, Amy. And I kept saying Amy over and over again. You know, Amy's a pretty common name, but it's wild to like that my first moment of seeing a Frank's box, a spirit box in action was at the Stanley Hotel. And now here we are just really furthering what they can do. That's perfect. That's awesome. The Frank's box is very strange. If if anyone out there thinks spirit boxes, it's like give them a weird vibe, like check out a Frank's box sometime. <laughs> yeah. So he puts like, or put like crystals and things in there and he's got this distortion on it. We have one that we use on Kindred sometimes. And that one actually does make me sick a lot because <laughs> we use it for the Estes method a lot. And it does make me feel ill for some reason. So we don't use it too often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've got a weird tempo, weird sound. Like it's just it's a it's a strange thing to listen to on loud volume for a long time. Yes, definitely. So, well, tell me, what are you up to? I know people probably have hell your questions. Like, what is Carl up to right now? Where can we find you? How can people support you? You can find me on the uh, old millennial social medias of Twitter and Instagram, just under my name, Carl Pfeiffer. But right now, we've got two seasons of our show Hellier out. We are slowly working away at uh, at season three. Don't expect that anytime soon, but it is developing for, for those that are excited about that. But in, in the meantime, we definitely do have some other exciting projects working. We are in the final, barely at the end zone of new documentary project about one of Greg and Dana Newkirk's haunted objects, The Crone. And that one has been sort of a logistical mess with, with COVID and with life scheduling and whatnot. But that one's almost done and we're hoping to get it out in the next couple of months, maybe early next year, hopefully at the latest. So that's going to be the next big project that you can't miss. We'll be blowing up the internet about it. But otherwise, yeah, for me, it's just been a busy summer of just getting client work and kind of making up for a couple quiet years from COVID, really. Well, hopefully we will catch up soon. It's always great to see you in person, but I think that people are going to love this conversation. There's just so many revelations here. It's the perfect season finale for season three of Haunted Road. So I really appreciate it. It was a great chat. Thank you for having me on and, and let me talk about all this fun stuff again. Clearly, the Stanley Hotel holds a special place in the hearts of many a paranormal researcher, including me. It's iconic. It's where many of us felt those first moments of curiosity about the paranormal. I think and dream of it often, and I mean it when I say, I hope I'm able to get back there soon. This was the season three finale of Haunted Road. I want to thank all of you for joining us on yet another amazing 12 episodes. As a special treat, 
Come back next week as we drop a bonus live episode recorded at Michigan Paracon a couple weeks ago. And also, fear not, looks like you've got a lot more Haunted Road in your future. So until next time, I'm Amy Bruni, and this was Haunted Road. Haunted Road is hosted and written by me, Amy Bruni, with additional research by Taylor Hagedorn and Cassandra De Alba. This show is edited and produced by Rima El-Kayali, with supervising producer Josh Thane and executive producers Aaron Menke, Alex Williams, and Matt Frederick. Haunted Road is a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild from Aaron Menke. Learn more about this show over at grimandmild.com. And for more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.